second scripture reading today is from Amos 5, verses 1, 4 through 7, 11 through 17, and 21 through 24. You can find it on page 661 of the Old Testament section in your two Bibles. Hear the word of God. Hear this word, a funeral song that I am lifting up against you, house of Israel. Seek God and live, but don't seek Bethel, don't enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal will go into exile, and Bethel will come to nothing. Seek God and live, or else God might rush like a fire against the house of Joseph. The fire will burn up Bethel with no one to put it out. Doomed to you who turn justice into poison, and throw righteousness to the ground. Truly, because you crush the wheat and because you tax their brain, you have built houses of carved stone, but you won't live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you won't drink their wine. I know how many are your crimes and how numerous are your sins, afflicting the righteous, taking money on the side, turning away the poor who seek help. Therefore, the one who is wise will keep silent in that time. It is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so God, the God of heavenly forces, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice at the city gates. Perhaps the God of heavenly forces will be gracious to what is left of Joseph. Truly, God proclaims, crime will be heard in all the squares, in all the streets. They will say, oh no, oh no. They will call upon the farmers to wail, and those skilled in mourning to lament. In all the vineyards, there will be bitter crying, because I will pass through your midst, says God. I hate, I reject your customs. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. If you bring me your entirely burned offerings and gifts of food, I will be pleased. I won't even look at your offerings of well-fed animals. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice hold down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word that writes from us. In this text, we find Amos at the climax of his prophetic lament. Amos, a, a sheep and cattle herd from the southern kingdom of Judah, he, he travels up north to the northern kingdom of Israel to deliver this message of judgment and protest from God. And because of the division between the south and the north, uh, Amos essentially has to gain the Israelites' trust because he's from Judah and get on their good side. And he does so essentially by trash-talking the surrounding nations. And so here's what he says. A word to Damascus, fire on the house of Messiah. And the Israelites are thinking, well, they did have it coming. And Amos goes on, a word to God, Ashdod and Tyre, fire on their walls. Again, the Israelites agree. Well, they did enslave all those people to Edomites. Amos again, a word to Edom, fire on Tamar. Are you hearing Amos for a guy from Judah? It's not so bad. 
A word to Ammon and Moab and even my own country of Judah. God's judgment upon you. The audience is immersed. All this juicy gossip about the surrounding countries. And just when Amos has them by the ear, he proclaims God's judgment against the worst of all the nations. A word to Israel. You. You are the worst of them all. You sell your people into slavery. You tax the poor for your own profit. You objectify and rape your women. You ignore God's prophets. No matter your wealth or your strength or your privilege, you cannot escape. Can you not see your complicity in these systems of injustice? Just as you have oppressed the innocent, so God will oppress you. So here in chapter 5, Amos delivers this message from God. I hate, I reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your Justice will roll down like consuming waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing mighty river. In a modern-day context, it might be easy to imagine Amos as one of those uh, sidewalk apocalyptic preachers, like condemning passers-by for disobedience to God. But that's not how I see it. Amos is a prophet. He's a prophet like like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Malala Yousafzai. Malcolm X or Michelle Alexander. Amos can no longer stand the current conditions in his country, and he has to do something about it. Amos declares here in verses 14 and 15, seek good and not evil, hate evil and love good, and establish justice at the city gate. He is prophetically lamenting the injustice going on in his country. Slavery, inequality of wealth, Oppression of the poor, violence, sexual exploitation, and nationalism. The parallel between Amos' context and our own today are obvious. So I grew up outside Grand Rapids, Michigan, in a predominantly white Christian evangelical town. I attended church each Sunday with my family, and this is where my love for music we sang all these different songs of praise with an organ, with a guitar, with drums. We didn't care. My church loved to praise God for all the good things that God has done for us. And indeed, we should. But there was one major expression that we were missing that I believe had a fundamental impact on how we related to the world. Like the Israelites condemned by Amos, we did not lament. We did not know what to lament or how to lament. We did not express sorrow or mourn to God the realities of a broken world. My experience growing up in the evangelical church is apparently not the exception. Dr. Denise Hopkins, a biblical scholar, she did a study on the use of lament in major liturgical denominations, and her study found that about 40% of the, uh, of the Psalms are a form of lament. Only 15% of the songs in our hymnals are lament. The study also found that the majority of psalms emitted from church lectionaries are psalms of lament. White American Christianity does not know how to lament. 
And like the Israelites in Amos, without lament, we become ignorant to the needs of others. Walter Brueggemann explains it this way. Praise without lament is triumphalism. And lament without praise is hopelessness. Out of that triumphalism, the privilege will develop a theology of celebration. Brueggemann continues, those who live in celebration are concerned with questions of proper management and joyous celebration. The well-off do not expect their faith to begin in a cry, but rather in a song. They do not expect or need intrusion, but rather they rejoice in stability and the durability of a world and social order that have been beneficial to them. What Brueggemann is expressing is that the privileged isolate themselves from issues of social justice because they are comfortable. The world is good to them. The world is good to us. Who wants to be intentionally sad? And I think that's the question that reveals our Who wants to be intentionally sad? Lament is not an option or a choice for those who are suffering, but it is an, it is an expression of the reality of sorrow and injustice. If we do not know the real injustices in our world and do not experience their implications personally, why would we lament? If we believe that the fullness of God's kingdom is experienced right now, why would we lament? Because the world is not as it should be, even if we can't always see. Turn on the news or open up your social media feed. Refugees without a place to call home. Immigrant deportation. The objectification and exploitation of women. Sex trafficking. Mass incarceration of black men. Police, police brutality. Gun violence. And how do we respond? Sometimes I think we find it too easy to blame Trump. GOP, the NRA, or even white evangelicals for our broken society. But as long as we continue to pass the blame, we will continue to be blind to our own complicity in a system that places us on top. These systems of injustice will continue to thrive if the privileged and entitled cannot see or hear. We must open our eyes to the realities of suffering and injustice in our world. We must listen closely to the laments of the oppressed. Our first text this morning, Psalm 10, is exactly that. A psalm of lament from the voice of the oppressed. The psalmist gives voice to his grief, asking, Why do you stand so far away, God? The wicked are in pursuit of those who suffer. The psalmist cries out, Get up, God! Get your fist ready. Don't forget the ones who suffer. Often when we open psalms, we have a habit of reading from the lens of the author. When the psalmist exclaims, the wicked don't seek God, they think to themselves, we'll never stumble. We'll never encounter any resistance. Likely, we will first think of the wicked as those that we disagree with, those who really profit on the backs of the suffering. 
But if this song, this desperate lament, is from the voice of the oppressed, perhaps we, a predominantly white congregation in Glynn County, are not like the psalmist. What if we are the wicked ones? What if the psalmist is pleading for liberation from us? Two Saturdays ago, I went and saw the new Black Panther movie. Uh, Black Panther is one of the few Hollywood films that features a predominantly black cast. While the movie has been receiving glowing reviews from uh, major critics, and also sold the largest number of pre-sale tickets than any superhero film previously, there has still been some backlash from particular audiences, particularly white it would be easy to simply dismiss this by calling it a form of obvious racism. But I think there is something deeper going on. White audiences are accustomed to everyone on the screen looking like them. White audiences, we are accustomed to the culture displayed in movies, books, advertising, music as being a reflection of our own culture. Black Panther does not do that. Black Panther was not made for white people. And that's okay because most everything else is. Black Panther was not made for us in rap today, neither was Psalm 10. We are not the voices of the psalmists. We are the oppressors who the psalmist use. So, if we are the enemy, what do we do? Amos calls Israel to see the ways in which it has functioned as the oppressor by acknowledging their own acts of injustice. He says to them, Seek God, hate evil, love good, and establish justice. Amos call, is calling Israel to turn, to see with a new lens, to see with the lens of God's kingdom of justice. And before we can lament, sorrows of the psalmist, the black man and woman, the immigrant, the Native American, the LGBTQ individual, we must repent of our ignorance and complicity. Only then, from a posture of repentance and humility, can we lament with those that we have oppressed. This lens, we are focusing on practices. How do we practice lament in our daily lives? How do we undo the triumphalism that years of celebratory rituals have embedded in us? Let's start with something really, really small. Let's pray with our eyes closed. And I mean this both figuratively, but figuratively, let's pray with our eyes open, seeing two realities. The way things are right now, and the way that God intends things to be. Let us pray with our eyes open that we see the injustices in our world. Let us pray with our eyes open that we see God's kingdom of justice. And that God's kingdom of justice may be our vision of hope. Let us not only pray with our eyes open, but with our ears, our ears open, that we may hear the laments of the suffering. Let us also pray with our mouth, with our mouth closed. 
clothes would have been used to oppress others and silence the voices of those solitary. Let us stand in Christ. Let us raise our hands in protest because we see that things are not as they should be. Because we see hope in God's kingdom of justice. Because we who believe in freedom cannot rest until the And I encourage you, pray with your eyes. God of liberation, God of justice, give us eyes to see the world in all its brokenness. Give us the heart to be troubled by it. But that, let us also focus on what you intended what you intended for this world. May your kingdom be our vision of hope and be our model of the way that we live right now. Give us new eyes.